Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Sword and Trial. Today, we actually have in studio David Schrock. Uh, David has written a book for founders on pulpit plagiarism. He is also uh, teaching for the Institute of Public Theology this week on systematic theology. And we're delighted to talk to him about relevant issues, not the least of which is biblical anthropology, which is the issue of our day for thinking Christians. Uh, If you are interested in this, we encourage you to listen and pass it around. Let other people know as well. Thank you especially to our Founders Alliance members who, because of their support, enable us to produce content like this and distribute it freely. Welcome to The Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm Tom Askell, and today it is my delight to welcome into the studio here in Cape Coral a good friend, David Schrock. Dr. Schrock, welcome to The Sword and Trial. Glad to be here. Glad to be in South Florida in December. Yeah, that's right. Rather than Northern Virginia, where you reside, right? That's true. Yeah, and you have been on the Sword and Trial, but never been in our studios before. This is also true. Well, we hope we didn't overwhelm you with yes. all of the uh, amenities here in our studio. This is glorious, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, for those of you that don't know, David wrote this book for founders a couple of years ago, 2022. Brothers, we are not plagiarists, a pastoral plea to forsake the peddling of God's word. Now, why in the world would you write a book like this? People are plagiarizing sermons, Tom. By plagiarizing sermons, you mean what? (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, basically using the works of others as their own. Or at other times, um, getting permission to use the works of others as their own. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes their congregation finds out about it after the fact. Sometimes they don't. Um, But they become, instead of, you know, expositors of the word that they have studied, handling it well, uh, arguing the fact that they become performers and really kind of Um, equipped speakers more Mm -hmm. than actually uh, preachers of the scriptures. Yeah, but I mean, what if a guy just listens to a sermon, he has such a great memory that he can't help himself but just to kind of repeat it when he's looking at the same text? Yeah, I don't have that gift, (laughs) uh, so I'm not quite sure what that burden is like. Um, But I certainly think that you look at just, you know, scripture gives us a model for what uh, a qualified elder should be, what a qualified preacher should be. Uh, and one of those is they can handle the word well. Yeah, yeah, right. And I, I was just with a group of pastors uh, in the middle part of our state recently, and I, I spoke a couple of times, and we had Q and A time, and you know, it just uh, it was wonderful. I mean, I love that. But I had guys coming up to me and say, "Man, so I'm going to use that. You know, I'm going to can, can I do that?" And so. Yeah, I mean, that's my default mode. Of course you can, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking, wait a minute, it needs to be your stuff. You know, yeah, <laughs> nothing yeah. I said is original, but do the work. That's right. Do the work yeah. in the text. And that's what you're arguing for mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, and that's what preaching is. It is. I mean, if not, then, hey, let's just get a minor bird or somebody that can, you know, say what needs to be said and put them up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's certainly the, the argument that is there. I and mean, we've seen that this has been a challenge in Southern Baptist life. Right. Right. I mean, this came out in 2022 after there was just some concerns about a, a previous president of the SBC who had done this. Yeah. And, and go, ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah. I mean, so, and I think what was even more concerning is that there were multiple resolutions that came after that. Uh, the following year, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, Ed Litton was the one who was a part of that. But later on, there was a, a need to say, hey, we want to resolve that this is not the, the work that pastors do. We want to mm-hmm. be above reproach in the pulpit, and we think that the SBC should do that too. And what was even more discouraging was the fact that all of those resolutions were tabled. 
mm-hmm. because there couldn't be a consensus among the Southern Baptist Convention about this. Um, and though you read the scriptures, like it's pretty clear what scripture has to say to us. And if we can't have a consensus on what ethical preaching is, we're really uh, struggling. Absolutely. And, and my theory is that there is an overwhelming consensus among Southern Baptists, but the people who run the platform didn't want a resolution to come out to embarrass because they thought it would be embarrassing mm-hmm. on uh, the former president Ed Litton and others. And it's amazing to me. I, I've lost count of the number of situations that I know of, I and mean, right here around us in Florida, where men have been discovered yeah. of using other people's sermons. It's wrong on so many levels, but it's not even smart in this day and age when no. it's easy. To investigate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's really tragic when you learn an individual. And I've had multiple people email me, call me, talk to me in person about, you know, finding out after the fact that that message that was just preached there was something they heard from somebody else. Because right? you're exactly right. You don't even need to use AI to figure out how to find out if this pastor is preaching someone else's sermon. And sometimes, I mean, the cavalier nature of it is I remember one pastor who even put on his website uh, that not all of these um, sermons are his own. Wow. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I've heard a couple of stories that stand out in my mind about these things having happened before the day of the, the Internet being as readily sure. accessible and, and ubiquitous as it is now, uh, where uh, one man who uh, in the early years of the conservative resurgence preached a message at a state gathering for the movement toward the recover, recovering inerrancy and an editor of a kind of a startup newspaper for this cause said, man, that was a great sermon. So I want to take it and just turn it into an article. And, you know, would you let me do that? And the guy grabbed him privately and said, you know, said, um, so you, know, you really shouldn't do that because, uh, you know, I'm not real smart, but uh, I, I got that sermon from Adrian Rogers, you know, and, at, at least he had enough yeah. integrity to keep yeah. it from going further, mm-hmm. not enough to keep him from preaching Preacher. Adrian Rogers' sermon. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm sure, I, I get, I've said it all the time, and I think J.D. Greer, maybe somebody else, maybe Adrian Rogers said it, you know, if, if my bullets fit your gun, then fire it, you mm-hmm. know. That's okay, but you don't want to do anything to encourage pastors to shortchange what true preaching is. Yeah, Man of God, Word of God, Spirit mm-hmm. of God. Yeah. You know, for a particular occasion. Yeah, and especially uh, younger preachers, yeah. right, who are learning to cut their teeth and learning to be able to, to preach for the very first time. If this becomes the crutch that they use in their 20s, there's no way that they're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a, a need to be able to actually learn how to study the Word of God, to handle the Word of God, to move to, to preaching the Word of God. Um, and one of the best things that ever happened to me as a young preacher was just going and preaching in country churches that had no one recording anything. Mm. And I can't tell you how many mistakes I made and how many poor sermons I had. And my poor wife listened to so many of those <laughs> along the way. And I praise God for, one, those churches that were willing to listen to really subpar sermons, best I could preach at the time, but learning how to do that. Yeah. Uh, and it was so necessary, I think, for every pastor along the way that that's just a growing process. And because there's so much kind of celebrity fanfare around, you know, pastors today, someone who is just really gifted with their ability to speak, not knowing how to study the word can be put into a place of of leadership very quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, and, you know, here's a golden child who's able to come along, and yet they really can't handle the word. And it does a disservice to them, does a disservice to the church, it does a disservice to uh, all those who are coming after and thinking, this is the way. Mm-hmm. When it's not. No, that's exactly right. I, I heard a story years ago, I think it was Chuck, Chuck Colson that told it about uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, mm-hmm. the former pastor of 10th Pres in Philadelphia. And uh, Harold J. Ockengay, you mm-hmm. know, the wonderful preaching professor. And I, I, I may have them mixed up, but I think it was Ockengay that just had like a photographic memory. And uh, Barnhouse and Ockengay were going to take a month. They were doing like 30 sermons, 30 days. They were traveling together in different places, train, car. And so every time they stopped and, and preached somewhere, uh, Barnhouse preached the same sermon and Ockengay preached a different sermon. And so they come to the 30th last time, mm-hmm. and Ockengay preaches first, and he preaches word for word Barnhouse's sermon. And then he goes and sits down. <laughs> so Barnhouse stands up, you know, unflappable, preaches this incredible message. And so they're walking back to their hotel, and um, uh, Ockengay said, well, what do, you, what do you think the people thought of my sermon tonight? <laughs> And Barnhouse said, oh, I'm sure they enjoyed it, but they probably enjoyed it a lot more the first time I preached it here two months ago. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, you know, not everybody has that ability to just uh, have a photographic memory like that. But a man of God ought to do the serious hard work. And again, because so much of preaching is what comes through the man that God's built and the gifts and such. Thank you for joining us today for this conversation on the sword and the trial. I wanted to remind you as the time draws nearer that the Founders National Conference is coming up here in the next couple of months. Um, And I wanted to remind you of the pre-conference that is taking place before the National Conference. This conference is going to be with Dr. Jim Ranahan and Dr. Tom Askell. It is titled A Time for Confessionalism. Anyone who knows Founders Ministries knows that we are a big fan of the confession, the London Baptist Confession. And so Dr. Ranahan, Dr. Askell will be talking about that and what it means to be confessional. Uh, That will take place January 17th uh, here at Grace Baptist Church. So we'd encourage you to go to our website at founders.org to register for that pre conference. So you've been a pastor how long now? Yeah, so eight years in Northern Virginia, uh, almost six years before that, so about 14 years total. 14 years, and you went to Southern Seminary, right? Did Did you do an MDiv and PhD there? I did. MDiv started in 2004 and then finished PhD in 2013. Okay, and you're here this week teaching for the Institute of Public Theology, a course on systematic theology, right? Systematic theology. Systematic theology one. Yes. So do you think we ought to uh, uh, streamline our MDiv and cut out Systematic theology. It might, it might strengthen the program. <laughs> it might strengthen, no, it strengthen the program, right? We're committed to rigorous theological yeah. study here. No, and I love that. I mean, yeah. so just getting done with day one here, uh, to be in class with a number of just really eager students along the way. Mm. Um, so that's just been a joy to be able to join you guys for the work here. And so seeing what's been going on from a distance and certainly just the emphasis on public theology, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this, and certainly the reason for this ministry is to be able to say, look, that's an area of weakness. Yeah. Uh, to be able to be theologically sound in the pulpit, theologically sound in the public square. And you guys are doing a great job of, of equipping um, you know, 
the students for that. Yeah, well, we're grateful for your contribution to that. And you and I have had conversations over the years because mm-hmm. what we lived through in 2018 forward uh, really was disorienting in a lot of ways, even before that. But I, I think I finally began to realize I needed to get up to speed, maybe mm-hmm. 2017, 2018, though I had friends that were much further along than I was uh, long before that. So I'm not not suggesting I was ahead of the curve at, uh, at all. But in thinking through that, recognizing, no, we do need to say things, we need to take a stand, and no, we're not going to go the way that a lot of the evangelical leaders that we've trusted for years are saying we ought to go, it created no small amount of uh, challenge. Mm -hmm. How did you guys sort through that? Man, you're up in Virginia when all this happened, too. Yeah. Uh, So I think to start (laughs) with, I'm so thankful for the elders that I have at, at our church. Right, because we're just outside of the beltway a little bit, so maybe it's not quite as thick, you know, uh, mm. blue territory there in D.C., Arlington, you know, Alexandria, all the rest. Um, but certainly, you know, it, it is uh, not uh, home terrain, if you will, for Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the elders that we have are faithful to the Word of God. Uh, I'm so thankful they have a backbone. Mm. Right, they, they are willing to take a stand for the truth, and they're humble. Yeah. Right. I mean, one of the things that I saw when I came from. Uh, Indiana to Virginia was the willingness to to receive correction and to recognize you know what we didn't do a couple of things that we needed to do and to change and to mm-hmm. receive that correction from the word and then with that humility to stand strong in that mm-hmm. uh, and so that's been huge for me uh, I think for some of the issues that we saw in 2018 2019 I think about you know Southern Baptist Convention again with just the decision with resolution nine and the willingness to embrace critical race theory with analytical tools I was slow on that Right. I mean, so this last year, I've written a book of my own process and journey with respect to dividing, uh, divided by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have some of those elders to help me to think through that, to be patient with me, but also to challenge me uh, was really helpful. Uh, and then just to walk through that process together with a real conviction that the church is the central locus for uh, the purposes of God. Yeah. Right. So when we got to 2020 and the governor was saying to us, well, you can just have your church online. <laughs> uh, we were all in agreement to be able to say, no, we can't just do that because the Lord has spoken to gather his people. Uh, the civil magistrate doesn't have the right or authority to teach us how we are to, to gather our church. We need to teach him what his authority is mm-hmm. or is not. Uh, and so I was really thankful for some who are even willing to say when we were gathering and some of the mandates are still coming down you know, this could have consequences, Yeah, but I, I'm going to follow Christ in this and trust him in that. And even having conversations like, okay, if something bad happens, who's going to go to, to jail first? Yeah. Uh, so there was a, there's a pecking order there among the elders. Yeah. Well, amen. Praise God for that. And yeah, there's no, no substitute for faithful elders that help you think and help shepherd a church together. So they're not left to just the uh, proclivities of, of one man who, yeah. Nobody can see everything just right all the time. Well, you know, with that, as we've tried here at Founders and, and our own church to address these things and get our mind around it, especially our elders and hours we spent trying to, to exegete uh, these executive orders from our governor and read the CDC materials and such, uh, and then came out with some direction, People began to accuse me, particularly, and, and some friends, longtime friends, said, Tom, you've, you've turned political. Mm-hmm. You've turned political. Did you guys get any of those uh, suggestions that maybe you've left off your major work? 
by addressing yeah. these things? Maybe some from inside the church, a handful of individuals along the way, mm-hmm. right? And it certainly seems as though when we are speaking, if, if, a, if there's a public witness that we as pastors ought to have, and I think there is something that has mm-hmm. been lost. I think we've, been lo- we've lost many in the seminaries of how to, how to actually do that and to do that well, yeah, right? Because we don't want to change the vocation of shepherding the flock, but when our flock goes out into the world, we need to disciple them, to encourage them, to equip them to stand for the truth. And so, you know, if we're preaching against those things that are on the left, it's often, <laughs> you know, uh, or if we're preaching things against it's the right, right, yeah. right, it's often seen as prophetic, right? Because we're being, you know, countercultural in that regard, we're being, but when we're preaching against the left and calling out the sins and the evils uh, mm-hmm. of our age, it, then we're getting political. Yeah. And I simply think we need to go back to say, well, the gospel is a political message. Amen. Right? I mean, Jesus is Lord, and his lordship is over the church, absolutely, and it's over all things in creation. Yeah, amen. And so that uh, gets to the organization that you helped found, and, and is mm-hmm. doing great work, Christ Over All. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah, so Christ Over All is a, is a ministry that began publicly in September of 2022. So my son said, you'll never forget that the day that started, right? It's like, <laughs> See, I think it's around your birthday. Right? So <laughs> it actually uh, launched on his birthday, oh, there uh, you September sixth, and uh, really that was working. That uh, was kind of behind the scenes for about two years, uh, as we we're having conversations. Myself, Stephen Wellam, Brad mm-hmm. Green, Ardell Canada, a number of faithful scholars there. Uh, Trent Hunter is a, a good friend of mine. We were at seminary together. Uh, been really, you know, texting one another almost every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, throughout these, you know probably last decade or so. Uh, and then guys at our own local church, um, a couple of our elders there who are deeply involved in that. And then Jason Glass, who's a mutual friend of yeah. ours, were, were involved in that. And just saw the need for just more outspoken, solid biblical and theological um, resources to help Christians and churches to engage the culture well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen a lot of rhetoric online that nobody knows what to say at times. And so they're going to say something. And some of the, maybe the younger voices are just getting a little bit hot under the collar. And I can appreciate that. And yet we need to just go back to say, okay, can we slow it down? Yeah. Can we elongate the conversation? Can we see what scripture says and, and to provide those things? And so we do a, a month by month theme uh, where we're focusing on one theme at a time. We're not trying to say everything to, to everyone. Uh, but we have a calendar that we lay out for the year. And so, like, for instance, right now in January, we're looking at Israel. Mm. Uh, and we're making plans right now to be able to think through a bit of how do we process what's happening there? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's happening with these um, these marches on college campuses with regards yeah. to Hamas and all of that? How, is there anything biblical that helps us to think about that? And how can we process that? So that's what we're doing. And uh, I think so far it's been received well. Yeah, well, your, uh, your treatment of Christian nationalism mm-hmm in, I guess, November, October, November, yeah. or something like that, of, uh, or maybe November, December uh, of 2023 was great. Yeah. It was really good. You just had a wide spectrum of people that you interviewed mm-hmm. and then tried to do some synthesis and taxonomy, taxonomy that was really good. Yeah. No, it was a real joy to be able to do that. Uh, as we were talking through, how do we process it? Because we were looking last year that this is a topic we want to discover or mm-hmm. to be able to discuss. And certainly you guys did that in January as well at the Founders mm-hmm. pre-conference and appreciated that. And, you know, there was just more heat than light. And so that was mm-hmm. our prayer that we'd be able to bring light. And so mm-hmm. we're going to allow people to speak. Um, and, you know, in letting some of those people <coughs> speak, it's like, okay, I don't agree with what they're saying, but actually the fact that they're able to articulate all yeah. the things that they're saying uh, helps it to be clear, yeah, that we shouldn't agree with that, but others will. Yeah. Um, but just to give everyone their place to do that. And then Andy Nacelli just did everyone a service. Mm. 
by mm-hmm. listening to and reading 200 <laughs> pages uh, of all the material there and providing some taxonomy that I think will be, you know, it's not the last word, but it's yeah. certainly a first word to help us to kind of process this. And then what are some reflections? So deeply thankful for him and um, everyone who was involved. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, Vody and I talked about last year at the, the pre-conference was, look, if you're a faithful Christian, if you just don't back away whenever the cultural elites come and tell you you got a genuflect, if you don't do that, you're going to be called a Christian nationalist. And I think more and more people are seeing that now. I'm just recently, it's in the news about this uh, satanic uh, altar thing. I can't remember where it's set up. Some government is it D.C. or where is it? No, it's a, a state. It's, yeah, it's out in California. I saw okay. just a few flickers on <laughs> online. It's like, what is this? Yeah, you know, but even even some of the staunchest critics who are very concerned about anything that mm-hmm. would say Christian nationalism are coming out and saying, wait a minute, this isn't right. Yeah, uh, you know, we, this is, we shouldn't let this happen. Mm-hmm. And the... Um, documentary that Rob Reiner yeah. has announced, you know, yep. about the danger of Christian nationalism and it's more dangerous than uh, terrorism. I mean, any number of things. The reality is, man, if you're a Christian mm-hmm. and you're not willing to back away from what mm-hmm. the word says, they're coming for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you have said before too, is like, you know, if you're not a globalist, right. If you're not a tribalist, right. Mm-hmm. Where, where does that line up? It's like, yeah. okay, I am for my nation. Yeah. Right? I mean, as a, a Christian who's living in America in 2023, I, I want this to be a place where my children can live in the future. I want, you know, what is good for my neighbors and good mm-hmm. for the state that I live in and for the, the nation that I'm in. So those are things that are just, I think, deeply Christian ideas that we are to care for the welfare of the city or the welfare of the nation. And certainly I'm a Christian and that's going to influence that. I think the fusion of those two things can become confusing. Mm-hmm, right? And sure. so personally for me, I, I'm not taking the label Christian nationalist, but neither am I allergic to it right. in, in the way that I think some are or would want to make you to be um, because I want to stand for Christ firmly, publicly, whatever names may be thrown. It's like, that's still who my Lord is and who I'm going to stand for. Yeah. Amen. I want to invite you to join us January 18th through 20th, 2024, here in Southwest Florida for the National Founders Conference. We're addressing the theme of remembering Jesus Christ. And so Phil Johnson, Conrad Mbewey, Travis Allen, Joel Beakey, and Costi Hinn will come and preach for us. I'll join with them as well as we look at this most vitally important subject. You can find more information and register for this at founders.org. I feel the same way about this that I do about Calvinism. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, uh, people say, are you a Calvinist? What do you mean by that? Yeah. And when they finish, I said, nope, not that. Not and it, I don't care. Call me a Calvinist. Don't call me a Calvinist. It doesn't matter to me. I just mm-hmm. want to be faithful to the text. That's right. And I think very much the same way about this. And we have in our conservative, evangelical, especially reformedish communities, I think we, we lost our voice mm-hmm. in speaking publicly, clearly, from the Word of God to what's happening in the culture, in our uh, halls of power, in our governmental centers. Um, and we need to recover that, not in a harsh way, but how in the world is the, is the magistrate going to know what they're supposed to do? Mm-hmm. God's the one that ordained them. Yeah. I mean, I think you may have seen recently just, I can't remember if it was a state rep or a congressperson or a congressman um, in Iowa responding to this satanic uh, altar or satanic, mm-hmm. you know, 
um, thing that's there in the state house in Iowa and arguing that, you know, as a Christian, he's opposed to that. But as, you know, a congressman, he can't speak to that because there needs to be for the sake of the First Amendment. Yeah. Right. And it's like, if this is what principled pluralism gets us, like we need to go back and reconsider our principles. Absolutely. Right. And it does seem that there has been too much ground seated to just say we need neutrality to be there and a neutral world will allow all faiths to be able to have equal places like no way yeah uh, i mean if you have islamic state they're not giving equal place to the jews right. they're not giving equal place to christians right the only kind of neutrality that could even be there or religious freedom is one that is sourced from a christian worldview yeah right and i think that's what is being missed today is that the secular ruse has not been helpful in any sort of way to maintain christianity it's only actually by advocating for christian principles in the public that there might actually be some kind of religious liberty or freedom that is there. And I think that's been lost. Yeah, absolutely. It has. I, it, you know, David French's the drag queen story hour is a blessing of liberty. You know, yeah. it's just, if you're going to have the kind of country we have and mm-hmm. the, enjoy religious freedoms and you're going to have to have this. And that's, that's nuts. That mm-hmm. shows how far we've been moved down this road uh, on these issues. And I'm glad again, good respected thinkers are waking up to this. And, and though they may not have the same kind of uh, theological foundation that I mm-hmm. want to stand on, they are saying, no, we, we don't tolerate that. We don't promote that mm-hmm. in this nation. But one of the hard lessons I think that we all have to come to grips with is the idea that any kind of true unfettered neutrality is just a myth. Mm-hmm. Everything comes from some kind of worldview. Everything has a presupposition mm-hmm. and foundation to it. And it's not a question of, you know, are we going to have a Christian uh, public square or a Christian influenced nation or a religious influenced nation? The question is, what kind of religion? Mm-hmm. Because secularism is a religion. Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, one of the things just doing on the reading, I mean, I think you and I both, you know, over these last couple of years, like, man, we got to catch up on political <laughs> theology, right? Absolutely. And so just in, in the reading, I can't remember exactly where it was coming from, but realizing that politics being downstream from culture, culture being downstream from religion. Yep. And I think for, you know, a long time recognizing that, you know, culture is what is seeding into the politics and the laws and everything else. And certainly mm-hmm. law itself has a place of, of teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. There have been um, abortions that have been protected because the laws change with Dobbs. Right. So that state laws are now actually making abortion illegal in some places. And people are thinking twice before doing that. That's saving lives yeah. as a result of that. Um, but even before that, there is a religious origin to that. And the idea of a secular state is fundamentally flawed. Yeah. Right. The moment that you take God out of the equation, if that's what secularism is, that there is no God, mm-hmm. uh, there's going to be a vacuum that is there that is going to be filled by someone or something. And if there is no God, the most powerful thing in existence then at that point is the state. And the state has made itself God in local states uh, and in our nation as well. And we've seen that in 2020 and, you know, going into 2024, that's something we should not forget. Absolutely. And it's coming. I really do believe that what's ahead of us is going to be far more dramatic and challenging than what we've lived through thus far. And God's people don't have any time to waste to try to get up to speed. So it's vitally important what you're doing this week, teaching theology with eyes wide open to mm-hmm. the day in which we live and realize it's not 1992 anymore. No. And so you can't pretend that it is, hope no. that it is. Uh, the men that are being trained and equipped to stand in the pulpits and lead the churches in the generations to come have to be better thinkers than I was <laughs> and uh, what I was uh, 
considering my main calling uh, when I first began. So praise God for that. Um, What do you see going on in in the conservative evangelical world of let's limit it to the United States? Yeah. Uh, lots of things, uh, I think. Um, you know, one of them that just over the course of this year in the teaching that I've been doing and some of the reading as well, I think is, I think, uh, the need for men and women to be men and women, mm. right? And, and so that <clears throat> certainly uh, is a response to the transgender confusion, right? We're seeing, you know, state-sponsored mutilation of children, everything else to that degree. So there's certainly that. But I think at a more basic level, it is the fact that we have lost what it means for a man and woman to be exercising the roles in the home because we've lost that there's a different ontological difference between the Mm. two of them as well. Uh, And so I think encouraging churches and encouraging men, at least in the context that I've been in, uh, that we need men who are leading their homes well. Uh, even with you know the fear today of the the Me Too movement, which is a, you know it's soured some, mm-hmm. but it certainly still had an impact, uh, and the impact of feminism that has been on the church, uh, the impact of feminism in our culture as well, and, and I think as well what we've seen with just some of the leadership decisions, it's far more. Uh, of kind of, um, you know, the language of, of a longhouse has been something mm-hmm. that I think has been shaping the way that I've thought about this, that there's a sense in which leadership structures have become more feminized and there haven't been godly or at least, let's say, honest and good masculine leaders, that the good masculine leaders now have to become more like women yeah. in order to be able to lead. And I know that's a massive hornet's nest, but I think it's something that we need to be aware of and to encourage what God created in the beginning, the strength of men to be men and the strength of women to be women, uh, to support that, to encourage that. Yeah, and uh, you and I talked previously just about the day we're living in is the day for much clarification on anthropology, oh, man. biblical anthropology. Oh, man. Yeah, And there's no uh, shortage of need and there's great opportunity for mm-hmm. us to teach because it's being filled. I mean, right. we're seeing various distortions of masculinity mm-hmm. that are gaining ground and people look at it uh, and they say, well, at least it's not this feminized stuff over mm-hmm. here and they run to it. I think that's a lot of the, um, a lot of what's going on with the nation of Islam over the last 30 to 40 years mm-hmm. is you look, okay, here's some strong uh, primarily black men that are not rolling over and they seem dedicated to their cause yeah. And when you compare it to the matriarchal society that so much uh, uh, populates so much of the inner city urban areas, there's something attractive about that. Well, yeah, and let's think about this. I mean, you have the leaders of three Ivy League schools, the Pennsylvania Ivy League, I can't quite remember, right? But I mean, yeah. Yeah, with the way that they you know, responded to the issues of anti-Semitism and violent, hostile words on their campus and unwilling to be able to speak a, a negative word right. there. Yeah. And I just think about, like, this is what secularism has led to where there's just a lack of strength and leadership in our nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, if that is not the judgment of God, I'm not sure what is. Yeah. And you add to that the the strength that comes from uh, Islam and just some of the impacts that are happening in Europe today. And it's like, I mean, this is how nations are conquered. Yeah, right? That's right. You do not have strong men, and then you have other strong men who are coming in to be able to take over that. 
Uh, and really, if, if America's history is one that was sourced from Christianity, the, the only source that can respond to that is some something downstream of Christianity or Christianity itself, a revival that the Lord would give. Yeah, amen. And that's we, we desperately are in need of revival and reformation. Um, mm-hmm. Our church started earlier this year uh, setting aside one day a month for prayer and fasting for reformation and revival. And it's been one of the best things we've ever done mm-hmm. just to— to heighten the sense of our dependence and how desperate we are and also to take God at his word That's right. and cry out to him. So, yeah, I'm grateful for all the good things going on, but God's kind of boxing us up to realize yeah. only he can help. Well, yeah, and the good things are our men and women standing on God's word in boldness, mm-hmm. right? And so all the challenges that are there, it, it will crush some. It will lead others to stand um, in the finest hour. Right? Yeah. It's God will glorify himself by giving grace to those who are willing to stand for those things. And may God help us do that. Amen. So what are you doing in your church to uh, try to prepare and get your congregation ready for this and the young people coming up? Yeah. Uh, so preaching Genesis, <laughs> right? So yeah. we went back to the beginning, uh, in the beginning of the fall, took about eight sermons to go through Genesis 1. Mm. Uh, so that was both challenging and I think helpful to think through the details of just how God made the world. So we're in Genesis 2 right now. We'll pick up Genesis 3 in the new year. So we're taking some time on Advent. Earlier this year, did a series on ontology. Mm-hmm. Right? So thinking about defining manhood, defining womanhood, defining the family, defining marriage, all those things, or defining creation. What is the cosmos even for? Uh, so those are some things, just some foundational realities that we want. Uh, we're investing in just, you know, men who will be pastors in the future, uh, mm-hmm. recognizing that the strength of the church is going to depend upon uh, godly men who have strong backbones um, and are able to speak boldly, but with gentleness and patience. Yeah. Uh, and so we're trying to invest in men to be able to do that um, and continue to build a community together. Yeah. And uh, thankful for the way that the Lord is doing that. There's been some mm-hmm. trials in that. Sure. Uh, not everyone likes that that sort of leadership, especially for those in our church who, you know, we're leading a certain direction, and that means that we may say no to some of the ministry ideas that they have. Uh, and yet, it's been good to see the way that the Lord has continued to lead his people. Yeah, amen, amen. We, we started many years ago taking uh, one... Wednesday night, we, we come for prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. And so we take one a quarter and we address uh, manhood, masculinity, womanhood, femininity mm-hmm. issues yeah. with the men and the women. And it's been clunky at times, you know, and you, you say things and you say, well, I should have said that better. But it's been really good. Our yeah. folks have responded well. And there there has developed, I believe, amongst both the women in trying to help each other to think rightly about what it mm-hmm. means to be a woman and certainly among the men, I mean, I live there, so I see that more often, uh, this idea of, yeah, okay, guys, this is what the Lord's called us to do. And I don't know all the metrics, but one of the things that, that we've been able to see happen, whether what, what degree those efforts have played into it or not, is, man, w- w- we have seen a great uh, readiness on the part of our men to do things that men need to do when they come up. It's like, hey, we got a need over here, boom. And the same thing with women. When there are things that that need to be taken care of, the women have just been right there. And it's wonderful. And there's not this, you know, well, the measure of a woman is a man. So I don't get to do what he does, so I'm being mistreated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so boy, it's it's a needed, needed exercise in our day to try to help people think rightly about that. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about it yesterday. I mean, there's a great deal of unlearning that has to take place there. 
because we've been catechized in so many ways to just be kind of gender neutral, right? right? Or, or even more so that we can kind of choose our own adventure yeah. or however we want to be. Yeah. Right? And, and yet scripture is really playing on, on what he intends for up to for men and women to be. There's an ontology that is there. There's a certain nature that is given to that. Um, you know, and so just doing some reading this, this year, Anthony Eslin's book, No Apologies, is really helpful, uh, as well as um, Mary Harrington, you know, Feminism After Progress was one mm. of the most eye-opening books I've read in a really long time. Uh, and even Michael Clary, I think you had him yeah. on, mm-hmm. like his book, God's Good Design, is probably one of the best books I've read on manhood and womanhood in I a agree. decade. Yeah, I it agree. It was really helpful. I agree. Well, David, man, thank you for being here. Thank you for investing in students uh, at the Institute of Public Theology. Mm-hmm. Thank you for holding forth there in Northern Virginia as you preach week in and week out and love what you're doing with Christ overall as well. Mm-hmm. So count you a friend and a partner in this big work. Thanks for spending time today here in the Sword and Trowel My pleasure, studio. Tom. This has been a joy. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today on the Sword and Trial. If this has been beneficial to you, we'd ask that you pass this around, let other people know about it. If you've not subscribed to the Sword and Trial on the various uh, podcast platforms, if you do that, that helps us because it uh, affects the algorithms and we're less likely to get canceled or downgraded by those who control those things. So thanks for any help that you can give us. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is is forgetting. We we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. We're there to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024 as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.